0: It's good. It's been good to worship our God together with you this morning. Thank you. You sound wonderful. Brett, thank you for that song. I, uh, I hope that we hear that often and we're able to sing along with you next time. I uh, I am happy that a, a, for a church that can sing its own songs to God, and so I hope that we hear that again. <clears throat> so welcome to White Plains. My name is Gary, and if you're new here, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest today. I hope that you uh, find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Kids, it's always good to see you here. Thank you uh, for joining us in worship this morning, and and I would encourage you to, to follow Brett's example. If you have had thoughts about God, if you've sat around and wondered what God is like and you've been learning stuff in kids' church or Sunday school, write things down about God. Maybe Maybe you don't know how to write a song yet, but maybe you could write a poem or or just a, a story about God, I would encourage you to do that. Again, take Brett's example for us this morning and, and write some things about God. And then also prepare your bowling game, because in two weeks, right, two weeks, is that right? It's coming up soon. We're going to be going to Ralphie's, and I am super excited about that. So um, be ready for some, some bowling skills to be shown by CJ and me. We've been working around the office today about really honing that game well, so... No, bumpers are not optional. We have to have the bumpers. Um, kids, you guys are dismissed to go on up to Kids Church, dismissed to go to the lobby. Kids Church is for uh, children in kindergarten through sixth grade, and they're going to be dismissed to the lobby after church our church service is over. As they're leaving, I want to let you know where we're headed in, a, in our sermon series in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be finishing up this sermon series uh, biblical Church next week with a look at prayer, uh, and then we're going to start a a five week series that's going to lead us up to the Easter season. and And I'll be honest, I am the most excited I've ever been about preaching through a book of the Bible uh, with you all. Uh, I mean, I've only been here a year, but but I'm really excited about this this sermon series. Uh, it's over one of my favorite books of the Bible, Jonah, and I am subtitling this series it's not about the whale. Now, when you hear the word Jonah and you think about Jonah in the Bible, you thought about the whale, didn't you? Most of us think about the whale. We've been taught since the nursery about the whale and Jonah. They're, they're, they're linked together. We make too big a deal, though, about the whale, and especially as we teach Jonah to our kids. Uh, and so, I'm, I am super excited to teach through this book uh, because it's not about the well The book of Jonah is about a man who's running from God, and it's about a God who's running after him, a God who's patient, a God who's kind and full of mercy, running after Jonah. the <clears throat> The message that's found in Jonah is a great message for the church. It's great for us. It's also great for them, those who are not here, those who are outside these walls. It is a message of of hope and mercy that the world outside these walls needs to hear. And uh, and I, again, I'm excited. Um, if you have friends or family who who you feel like, or maybe they've expressed that they've been running from God, this is the series to bring them to church, to bring them back to church. Maybe it it'll start on the 26th. Uh, I'm so excited about this message that C.J. Heather and I are are sending self-addressed postcards. Not not self-addressed. We we handwritten. Yeah. <laughs> We hand-wrote addresses on postcards to a hundred of our neighbors around the church and in this city, inviting them. If they have felt like they've been running from God, this is a good time to, to check out uh, church. And um, I'm looking forward to that. So be sure to join us and, and, and invite some friends to be a part of that. But today we're going to continue in our biblical church series where I am leading us through seven biblical purposes of the church, and by that, seven biblical purposes of the Christian. Christians are the church. You and I are the church. Specifically, you and I are White Plains Baptist Church, and as the church, we're exploring what the Bible says that we should be about collectively. I hope that we're seeing that what the Bible says to the church, it say, it says in a very similar way to the Christian. These seven purposes that we've discussed And are discussing are probably not the only things the church should be about, but they are foundational to us. Rick Warren, the pastor or founding pastor of Saddleback Church, says in his book, The Purpose Driven Church Every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship, deeper through discipleship, stronger through worship, broader through ministry, and larger through evangelism. This quote is at the heart of this series. I desire, and I hope that you join me in this desire, that we would be a church that grows warmer, that grows deeper, stronger, broader, and larger. This morning we're going to look at the biblical call to evangelism. Now the practice of evangelism is really part of the ministry of discipleship. And I think it's best to view evangelism as the front part of discipleship instead of something separate than of discipleship. Because when we separate evangelism from discipleship, we focus on conversion without doing any of the hard work, the follow-up work of discipleship that is commanded and required of all believers. Evangelical churches have historically done this poorly. We have failed often in evangelism and tying it to discipleship. The the revivalists of the 20th century specifically also focused solely on conversion so much that there wasn't any discipleship, and the foundation after that revival um, fell apart. The thought of the revivalist movement was, let's just get them saved, and maybe you've thought that or or said those things, but salvation is important for sure. But it has to be tied and connected to discipleship. Keeping new believers disconnected from discipleship leaves them with shallow faith. And new believers with a shallow faith leaves a church full of shallow and possibly even unbiblical faith and theology. So this morning, as we look at evangelism, Let's keep in mind that it's not to be separate from discipleship. Why? Because Jesus says in the Great Commission, <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18-20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end Of the age. And as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, you and I, we are to make other disciples by baptizing them. And this is the process of evangelizing and then teaching them. To help us set the stage for the message this morning, I'd like for us to look in the Old Testament as this call of evangelism, because it's not just a New Testament idea. Let's look at Isaiah 52. And we'll be in verses 3 through 7. <clears throat> for thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God. My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers will, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. You, in fact, in truth, in reality, you reign. Help us to understand that truth. It is your world. You are the creator. You are the ruler. You reign. Thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us to understand the the truth that's found in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at biblical evangelism, let's quickly define what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply the act of sharing the gospel. Evangelism isn't isn't, uh, reserved for pastors alone. It is the call for us all who believe in Jesus to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. We who follow after Jesus are called to share this hope of the gospel. To understand what we share, let's attempt this morning to define the gospel. Have you ever wondered what the gospel is in a way to share it with others? We had a really good conversation a couple of weeks ago in our Reimagined Church workshop where we talked about what is the gospel. And I think we, we discovered a really good biblical definition of the gospel. And now I don't know what you guys do on Friday nights, um, but this Friday night I was with my in-laws, and so I got online and started chatting with artificial intelligence. And... Um, I, um, I don't, have you, have you spent any time with that chat GPT app or whatever? So I got on there and I was, I was debating the ethics of itself and trying to put it into a corner to make it think it shouldn't exist. Um, but then I asked it to share the gospel with me. Like I was an eight year old and I was honestly impressed with what it spit back out. It did a really good, a really good job of sharing the gospel, uh, with me, um, because I wanted it, I wanted it to to see if, as it searched the world's knowledge, if the truth of the gospel would come out, um, and to see to fact check what we discovered the, a couple Wednesday nights ago. Uh, but in our Reimagined Church workshop, we discovered and discussed um, that there's really two parts of the gospel. Do you recognize that when when I say there's there's two parts of the gospel? Is that confusing to you? One part of the gospel is offensive. The other part is beautiful. But we need both parts of the gospel. As we share the gospel, as we believe the gospel, we need both parts. Both parts are necessary. The the chat GPT app, it got both of the parts right as it spit that back to me. But much of our trouble in Christianity, much of the trouble we have in the church, with the world, with ourselves, is that we are tempted to only focus on one part of the gospel. And I think you can see that in the world around us, especially as we look into this offensive yet beautiful message of the gospel. It's probably best to start with the offensive part first. Let's get the bad news out of the way first. If, if you find yourself getting offended this morning, just stay with us because the second part of the definition will be coming, and it's beautiful. But let's first look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Jews demanded signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, And folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The gospel has always been offensive because it's often what people aren't looking for when they're searching for God. It's surprising. It's surprisingly offensive. The gospel presents a crucified Savior. To those who are looking for power, freedom, deliverance, and wisdom. In the minds of the religious people, and even in the worldly people, it's confusing how can there be any power in a crucified Savior? How can the dead be of any help to broken people? How is it Christ crucified is of any help to a lost and sinful world? Now, of course, You and I, we know that Christ didn't stay dead, and we'll celebrate that at Easter, that he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he says he was. But the idea that Jesus has to die is offensive. It's probably not as offensive as the next passage that we'll look at, but it helps lay the foundation for the greater offense of the gospel. This idea that death... That sin's punishment demands death. Left to ourselves, none of us probably like this truth. There's something inside of us. There's something inside of you. There's something inside of me that's very close to us, that's, that in fact we probably enjoy. But it brings on the wrath of God. And that wrath is only satisfied through death. Someone, something has to die to make us right with God and to to demand death for our sin. That leads to the beautiful part of the gospel. But before we get there, let's look at Acts chapter 17. In verses 30 through 32, we find this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all about raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. God has always been a God who is gracious. He is the creator. God is the sustainer he's god he gets to create the rules he gets to write the rules and here in Acts 17 god commands that all people everywhere repent all people everywhere repent god sees the direction that people are headed god sees the direction that you are headed god sees the direction that i am headed and apart from him we're headed in the wrong direction. He commands every one of us to turn from that to repent, to turn and go the opposite direction. Now, in the case of sin, if we're following our own ways and going after sinful ways, the opposite direction when we repent would be what? It would be to head in the direction of obedience to God and His word. This hurts a little bit. This is very offensive. I get it. God, his word, and specifically the gospel, say we're headed in the wrong direction. You're headed in the wrong direction. You are wrong in your attempt to find purpose in your own ways, following your own heart, trusting in your own wisdom. That path will lead to destruction. Forever. If you're finding yourself getting a little squirmy in your seat, it's okay. You're in good company. This is hard to hear. To hear the truth that you're wrong. And God says, repent. This is biblical, it's true. It hurts, it's hard, it's offensive. Many in the church want to focus on this one part of the gospel. The offensive part. And maybe you know people like this. They beat you over the head with you're a sinner, you're awful, you're broken. All that's true, but it's only partly true. If I were a guess, there are many churches and Christians in the Bible Belt, in the South, and even in our county, who focus on this one part of the gospel. And left alone, this part, as you can imagine, does a lot of harm. We can cause deep hurt left alone without the rest of the gospel. When a church or even a well-meaning Christian only focuses on this, this offensive part of the gospel, they will turn people away. People will run from this message because it's hopeless. The gospel is meant to unite us to God, not to scare us away from God. Let's look at Romans chapter 3 to help us see both sides of the gospel, the offensive part and the beautiful part. In Romans chapter 3 and 24, we read this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here we see the offensive part. Of the gospel. This offensive part should humble us. All. All have sinned and all fall short of God's standard. All is everyone, isn't it? Every one of us. All is you. All is me. All is the one sitting next to you. All includes those who stayed home this morning. All is all. We all fall short of God's standard, and that means we can't save ourselves. Because we fall short and we can't save ourselves, there's nothing that we can do to show God that we're good enough. Because in reality, we're not good enough. This still feels kind of offensive, does it? When is the beautiful part coming, I'm wondering? I'm a good guy. You're probably good people too, right? What do you mean the Bible says we all fall short of God's standard to maximize the beautiful part of the gospel? We have to understand. We have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable part of the gospel. We have to understand this offensive part. The beauty part is coming. For as much as all have sinned, and don't measure up to what our Creator expects of us, the same all, you, me, the one next to you, and the one who stayed at home, we all are justified by His grace as a gift. This means that we are made right with God, And not only that, we are made right with God as a gift. You don't earn it. God's grace is given to you. God knows the high standard He has set for us. He knows it's too high for us. God's expectations for you are too high. God knows that You can't come to him by your own effort. I can't come to God in my own effort. We can't come to God in our own effort. God knows that. And instead of doing what you might have done or I might have done and lower the standard, God doesn't do that. He doesn't lower the standard. It's still too high. But he comes to us. God comes to us. He offers you a gift that you don't earn that you don't deserve. He freely gives you this gift because of his love for you. He loves you. God created you and wants you to be with him forever. This is beautiful. God doesn't leave you where you find him. God doesn't leave anyone where they find him. God says to repent to change the direction that we're headed. He says that as we believe, we are justified, and he makes us right with God. This is the amazing grace that the song speaks about. This is amazing grace. And how does he do this? Through the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. Through the death of Jesus, and because he rose from that death, you are made whole. You are made right with God. When you couldn't make yourself right, you were made right with God thanks to Jesus. Now, we make a big deal about Jesus around here because of this very fact. We are made right. We are restored to God because Jesus died for you. This free gift of God moves us to repent. To change. As we make Jesus our Lord, we must follow him out of love and gratitude for the gift of grace that he's given us. Our repentance, our changing, is in response to the grace that we're given. Psalm 34 says this, "'O taste and see that the Lord is good.'" Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God is good. He is so, so good. If you've experienced salvation, if you've trusted in the gospel and followed after Jesus, you know that God is good. Even when things are hard, God is good. But if you're still holding on to your direction, your desires... Your sin, and you're not ready to receive the gift of God's grace that's only found in Jesus. If you're not ready for that, know that God is good. Now you may think all this is foolishness, and it's a stumbling block. I understand. The Bible says that that's the case for many people, and if that's you, that I would ask that you would taste the Lord to continue to hear and listen to this gospel message. Join us for that series in Jonah in a couple of weeks. Those of you who are still figuring Jesus out, be here for that series, and I trust that God will show you the rest of Psalm 34 to be true, that blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now let me warn you, just as some churches and Christians only focus on the offensive side of the gospel— There are many churches and many Christians, and the number continues to grow, that only want to focus on this beautiful side of the gospel. They'll tell you that you're okay. Just believe in Jesus the way you are. They don't want to talk about repenting or changing any direction. They don't want to talk about sin. And just as the ones who only focus on the offensive part, the churches and the Christians who only focus on the beautiful part, they're not telling you the whole truth. They will attempt to woo you with acceptance and love and forget to encourage you to the very truth that we're following after. Jesus' primary message was repent and be baptized. We need both sides of the gospel. You and I, we need both sides of the gospel. You and I need to follow and repent. Our lives should look much different after we encounter Christ all of us, not just them, but us, we should look different. We need to continue to repent. It's a daily exercise for believers, confessing and yielding our ways, our desires, to that of God's desires for us. We can know what God wants from us. It's in His Word. It's in Scripture. As Christians, you and I, we must be people of the Bible. We must read and know our Bible. This book, the Bible, this is higher than our opinions. This book, this Bible, is higher than our feelings. This book, this Bible, is higher than our thoughts. We follow what's in here because we recognize the beauty of what Jesus did to meet us and to bring us into a relationship with God that we couldn't achieve on our own. As we follow and trust the gospel, we find its solution capable of meeting every need that we have. We continue to share the gospel with each other. We need to hear the gospel over and over and over again because we can be easily blinded. We can be easily blinded by our sin, our heart, and others. We have spent a lot of time this morning with the message of evangelism. We've done this because we have to get the message right. We have to get the gospel right. If we are to tell this community around us the gospel, we must know it. We must say it the right way. If we miss the message and share the wrong message, we'll lead others into false hope. So let's turn to what we do in evangelism. Let's look back at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the church's mission statement, to go and make disciples, not just converts. Now, remember, we're placing evangelism on the front end of discipleship because conversion alone is not what Jesus is commanding here. Jesus is commanding following and learning. And for those of us who are disciples, we are commanded to make other disciples, who in turn make other disciples The church has been around for 2,000 years because disciples don't make converts. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. And so what is our duty as Christians in evangelism? So now you can start filling in the notes. We're almost done and you haven't filled in a note yet, but here they are. Christians go and tell. We go and tell. Our sole responsibility, all that we're to be about as Christians in evangelism, is to go into our community, ultimately into the world around us, and in all parts, and tell the gospel. We go and tell. We share that offensive yet beautiful message that we spent so much time on this morning. We go and tell. We share the hope that we have with others with people that we care about, with people that we meet, and those that we reach out to, we go and tell. We stay focused on this message and this activity of going and telling, and we don't get caught up in the results. The results aren't up to us, whether they're fruitful or not. We can't save anyone. We can't open the eyes of someone, even if we love them with everything that we have. Even if we give them the most convincing argument for faith, we don't have the power to save anyone. We have to leave that to God. Jesus says that he is with us as we go and tell. He also promises to send the Holy Spirit in his final speech in the early parts of Acts. Here's what he says about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, John 16. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. We go and tell. That's all that we can do. That is all that we're supposed to do, to go and tell. We are powerless to do anything more than that. If we think that we should do more than that or can do more than that, then we're mistaken because it is only God who can change a heart. In your notes, the Holy Spirit converts the new believer. This promised helper, the Holy Spirit, will take our words, take our activity, and work inside the heart of those that we share the gospel with. The Holy Spirit is the one who converts the new believer. The Holy Spirit is the one who worked inside your heart as you first believed. He's the one who's continuing to work in your heart as you continue to believe. We are not the Holy Spirit. You can give the best gospel presentation to your loved one, and it might fall on deaf ears. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't try to water it down or make it easier. Trust God to do what God does in evangelism. Trust the Holy Spirit to do His work in His time. This is important because sometimes we think that we help save somebody when we share the gospel with them. Or we might even think that we came to God on our own as we first believed. Let's look at Romans 10. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. When you first came to Jesus, you confessed that Jesus is Lord and you believed that God raised him from the dead. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and your situation and opened your eyes to the offensive yet beautiful message of the gospel. All you did was trust. In faith, you trusted. In your notes, the new believer trusts Jesus. That's the role of the new believer in evangelism, is trust. As we take the gospel, as we share it with others, we go and tell. The Holy Spirit convicts and converts the new believer to trust Jesus. This is evangelism. It's centered around the gospel, the beautiful yet offensive message of the gospel. This is the front end of discipleship. As we share the hope of the gospel, we need to take the responsibility of discipleship of that new believer and encourage them to continue to grow in their new faith and understanding as they follow and learn of Jesus. Evangelism is tied to discipleship. Evangelism should lead to church growth because as we share the gospel, we must make room for new believers, for them to grow as disciples. As we close, let me point us to Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet... Of those who preach the good news. That's the question in front of us this morning as we consider evangelism. How are they to believe? How is this community to believe if we don't go and tell? If we don't go and tell, how is the Holy Spirit going to convert and convict? And if the Holy Spirit's not convert, converting and convicting, how will they trust? We must go and tell. That's the command of the Great Commission. I'll invite the worship team to come back up to the platform this morning, and as they come, I would ask that you would consider who needs to hear this offensive yet beautiful message of the gospel who do you know in your circles, in your neighborhood, in your family? Who do you know who is struggling with sin? The sin that separates us from God? The sin that left unchecked will convict, will, con, will condemn someone to an everlasting separation from God, and punishment in hell. Who needs to hear this offensive yet beautiful message? of the gospel. Let's take a moment to silently pray for that person or those people. Take a moment and pray that they would be open to hearing the gospel. I'm sure some of y'all prayed for loved ones that are dear to you. I'm sure you prayed for coworkers, You prayed for family members, friends. But as you were praying for them, perhaps you realize that you yourself are ready to believe the gospel. Maybe for the first time that you realize that you need it as much as they do. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you haven't accepted the free gift of God that's found only in Jesus, would you do that today? Let's pray. God, thank you for your words to us, this offensive yet beautiful message of the gospel. Help us to wrestle with it, the truth that's found in it. Help us to apply it, to believe it, to share it. Give us opportunity this week, today, to believe the gospel, to share the gospel, and to continue to trust the gospel. We thank you for Jesus who paid that price for us, that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you for Jesus. It's his name that we pray. Amen.